morning. We appreciate you being inside. The center here and said he was going to use PowerPoint, and so I've sort of stubbornly insisted that I would do the same thing without the PowerPoint but stay in the same place where he started. I know how easily you get confused if we move back and forth. So, and incidentally, those of you who believed that it couldn't get cool again in March, shame on you. It can, can it? What a, what a change. We're glad you're here today, and the weather outside is not going to be a problem for us inside. I want to remind you, uh, before we pray, that uh, Eddie is in a, a gospel meeting at Mechanicsville, uh, Virginia. I think that's fairly close to Richmond. Is that right, Doug? You know that? You don't know that? Uh, Mary uh, Elva said she thinks it's close to Richmond, and so anyway, he's in Virginia and he's preaching today, and we're glad for him to have that opportunity. And we want to pray for him and Mary as they uh, spend the time there and as they come home. That uh, first of all, that God would bless the efforts in Virginia, but that also uh, would bless them and give them safety as they come home. We're going to take a minute to pray, and then we'll get to our lesson. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful this morning that we can share this time with each other. We're always glad for opportunities to be able to be together to study your word. Help us to understand how vital these times are for our learning as well as our encouragement. We're, we're glad that we have uh, those occasions that can strengthen us and help us in our determination to be your people. This morning we're thankful for the material blessings that uh, are so evident around us. We know that everything we have or will have is because of your goodness, your generosity, your willing to share with what, what you have made. And we pray that uh, we'll be grateful to you for all that we have. We recognize, Father, that beyond the material, there is that spiritual uh, richness that comes through Jesus. We're thankful for his love and willingness to come to earth, to live among us, to die for us, to intercede for us now in heaven. We pray that uh, we not only will believe in him, but follow him and be faithful to him as well as to obey your word. Bless us as we think together. We're glad that we have topics that can challenge our thinking. We pray that our thinking will be clear and correct. We pray that you will bless us as we deal with others, that we might be helpful to them as well. We ask all of this through Jesus. Amen. This is the third of a series of lessons that we call Why We Believe. And with this lesson, we begin the main body of study in which we will examine reasons to believe in the existence of God and reasons to believe in the inspiration of the Scripture 
and reasons to believe that Jesus Christ is deity, that he is God. Um, three of these lessons uh, will cover some of the evidence that can be given for one to believe in God. These are not all the reasons, but they will be hopefully enough to convince us, uh, and not that most of us, I think, need any convincing, but to, to reestablish again for us the certainty of our faith. Our whole approach this year is to realize there are things we can know, there are things we can be certain about. Uh, Christians don't want to have a faith that is shaky uh, or that seems... Uh, not to be certain, uh, we want to have a sure faith, and, and part of that is related to this particular study. Um, the, the two lessons that will follow this, uh, that will hopefully be taught by Eddie, uh, will focus on the importance of design in recognizing the existence of God. Why are things the way they are? Is there, is there any link to God in the fact that the eye sees and the ear hears and that there is so much around us that is perfectly designed? Uh, and then the lesson following that will deal with morality and conscience. What is there about morality that causes us to believe that there is a God? And is there a connection? We'll be seeing those in the next couple of weeks. This lesson deals with man's religious nature and the question of why. Why is man religious? And then the reality of what we cause, call cause and effect. Why, why are things the way they are? What, what caused them? What is the cause for the effect. We'll, we'll be thinking about that in the next few minutes. Let, let's, let's start off thinking about this belief that there is a God. Um, you, you can be certain of this, and, and I think this is indisputable, that you must logically accept one of two conclusions. Uh, there are only two things that you can believe. You can believe that God exists, or you can believe that he doesn't exist. There's not a third possibility. You can't believe that he does and does not exist. That's not possible. He either does or he doesn't. But at the same time, your conclusion in which of those you choose is going to have a great impact on your life. It has to. For instance, if you believe that God does not exist, then you are not bound by any. And, and I repeat, you're not bound by any of the teachings that are attributed to him. Why should you be subservient to things that are said to be taught by God if there is no God? And, and, and obviously, the person who believe, doesn't believe there is a God has to reject the Bible, and he has to say, I don't want anything that the Bible says is from God because there is no God. That's one of the conclusions you have to come to if you say God does not exist. There, that also, it also means, though, 
that there is no higher authority than man. If there is no God, then we're the top of the chain. Nothing, un, nothing above us. There is no God. But you have to be willing to accept the consequences of the choice that says there is no God. Man is, in essence, God. Look at the last chapter of the book of Judges. We've, we've looked at this verse many times. But Judges 21, the final chapter and the final verse. This is not the only time this is stated in the book of Judges, but this is the conclusion of that book, which, which sometimes leaves us very cold by how God's people had so turned away from him. In verse 25 of Judges 21, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, but notice the last statement, Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now that particular context has to do with the fact that there was no king ruling over them. But let me tell you, the wider context of that is also that the people were not being, in their minds, bound by what God said. You read the book of Judges and you'll see how far away from God they got. How idolatry had often entered into their lives. And so, if, if there is no God... You just do what you want to do. And, and incidentally, if you can do what you want to do, so can somebody else. And if man is the highest there is, which man is the highest? Are we all the same? Now let's suppose you have little children and your next door neighbor decides that cannibalism is okay. He can eat your children. Well, that's not the way you feel, but after all, his authority is as good as your authority. Um, it, what, what about incest? You can name a dozen things that would create chaos in society if man is himself the highest authority. Now, if God does exist, there are also consequences. One of those consequences is it is incumbent upon us if there is a God to know who he is and what he's like and does he want something from us and can we have a relationship with him? If there is a God. Look at the book of Hebrews and, and this again is another of those really familiar passages. Hebrews the 11th chapter. Hebrews 11, what we call the great faith chapter, verse 6. Notice. Hebrews 11, 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God, what? Must believe that he is, and that he is the, a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And incidentally, the Bible not only affirms there is God, but that we should seek him. Not just that he exists, but that we have a responsibility to him because he is God. If he is God and he is higher than us, then we have a responsibility to him because his authority is greater than ours. Now, the existence or non-existence of God is not based on numbers. Boy, we're hearing a lot about political polls. You don't take a poll to determine whether God exists or doesn't exist. 
We understand that there are many, many people in this world who do not believe in God. There's uh, a man uh, by the name of uh, Charles Smith in 1929. So this is a long time ago, but he, this is the man who founded the American Association for the Advancement of Atheism. Wrote a little booklet called Godless Evolution. I want you to listen to what he said just for a moment in that book, and you can hear the sarcasm dripping off of every word. In the beginning was matter, which begat the amoeba, which begat the worm, which begat the fish, which begat the amphibian, which begat the lower mammal, which begat the lemur, which begat the monkey, which begat man, who imagined God. This is the genealogy of man. Now, I don't know if Charles Smith, I'm assuming he's dead. But, but I'm assuming if he were living today, he would have a red face. He would be embarrassed. Because he certainly wasn't a scientist, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, because he would not, if he were smart today, affirm in the beginning was matter. He wouldn't affirm that. Now, Smith had a goal in mind in this book, and that was to prove there is no God. And, and he wanted people to believe that everything that you observe came about in a mindless way. Just happened. Just happened. And, and, and even though it's not the focus of our lesson today, next week, we could say it'll be really, really hard to think that everything that we see around us just came to be. He had a very wonderful explanation for how you and I got here. Your ancestor, the monkey, helped you to get here. Well, he, he was wrong, of course. He didn't understand what he was saying. But atheists are committed to their belief. And, and incidentally, it is a belief. It is not a fact. An atheist cannot tell you it is a fact that God does not exist because it isn't a fact. <clears throat> no atheist has proved scientifically there is no God. Believers in God are just as adamant that the first four verses of the Bible, in the beginning God, are true. Those, ver those words we believe are true. That God is here in the beginning. And sadly, we're forced to agree with the words of Psalm 53, verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, that wasn't Alan saying that. But biblically, God says, you are a fool if you say there is no God. <clears throat> and incidentally... It is clear from Scripture, you and I know, that God establishes that we can know there is God. We can know that. Uh, our focus today is going to begin this part of the study, this three-lesson part about why we believe God exists. And, and I, and I want to start with something that's not on your lesson sheet, but I, I think it needs to be established that there are some reasons that are not good enough to believe 
that God exists. And the first of those reasons is parents. To, to say that you believe in God because that's what your parents believed is sentimental, but it's not based on intelligence. And, and we know that that would be entirely different if your parents were atheists. If you believe what your parents believe, but your parents are atheists, you're going to be an atheist, right? Does that make it right? Um, I, I've told this story before, and, and I hope you haven't gotten too tired of hearing it, but it just so impressed my mind. Years ago, when I was still doing a lot of village preaching in India, we were out in the middle of nowhere, driving along, and we passed a, a big old tree by the side of the road. I mean, it was big, and you could tell it was old. And I noticed that around that tree were all kinds of things that had been laid there, fruit, uh, vegetables, flowers, all surrounding the tree. And, and I turned to my translator and I said, what's the significant of that, significance of that tree? He said, they worship it. They worship it. And I said, why would they worship a tree? And he said, probably because their parents did. Well, I think that's probably true. If you grow up in India and your parents believe that you ought to bow down before Brahma or Ganesh or a dozen other idols, that's what you are. Doesn't mean you're not sincere, but it also doesn't mean you're right. Now, what if your parents believed that the earth was flat and that if you sailed far enough, you'd fall off the end of it like people in the day of Columbus? Well, you would be wrong just as they were wrong. Here's a second reason not good enough to believe that God exists. You need to listen very carefully when I say this. The Bible. The Bible is not a good enough single reason to believe that God exists. Now, do I believe the Bible? Yes. Do I believe it teaches there is a God? Yes. Do I believe it's accurate? Yes. But again, the question is, what about people who don't believe the Bible? If somebody doesn't believe the Bible, he's not going to believe God exists because he doesn't believe the Bible. Hugo McCord uh, once wrote this, It will do no good to quote a verse of Scripture to a man who has no faith in Scripture. And unfortunately, a lot of believers have thought, I can just take the Bible and I'll just tell people, here's what the Bible says. But maybe they haven't established, first of all, do you believe the Bible? Do you believe it is from God? You see, if a person doesn't believe there is a God, then he didn't believe the Bible could be from God because there is no God. Now, we're going to spend five lessons on the inspiration of the Scripture. And we're going to see in those five lessons that there are many valid reasons to believe that the Bible is the Word of God from God for God's people. A lot of reasons. But, but all I'm saying now is you can't just take your Bible and shake it in someone's face and say, this is why you ought to believe there is a God, because this is the Bible. 
to first of all get them to believe the Bible before they can believe there is a God of the Bible. And the third reason not to believe that there is a God is feelings. You and I have learned sometimes the hard way feelings can be deceptive. We think something is true and it really isn't true. We feel it's true and it isn't. Jacob believed that his son Joseph was dead when his other sons showed him that blood-stained garment. Is this your son's? What, what, what was Joseph, Jacob's conclusion? He's dead. Yeah, an animal has torn him. And, and I guarantee you that Jacob grieved just as sincerely for a son who was not dead, whom he thought was dead, than if his son had really been dead. He believed he was dead, but he was wrong. He had been tricked. Now, we may feel strongly, and, and we do, there has to be a God. But others may feel just as strongly, no, there doesn't have to be a God. And so what we, what we think about is what Proverbs 28 verse 16 says, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. If what you believe is simply what you believe because that's what you feel you ought to believe, you could be wrong. And that's why we're spending this entire year trying to say there is a certainty of our faith. Not just feeling about it. Okay, so let's, let, those are some wrong reasons. Here, here are some good reasons to believe that there is a God. And we're just going to think about two of them in particular today. And one, one of those is the religious nature of human beings. Now, it is a fact, again, a fact beyond dispute, that man is inclined to be religious. Um, here's a statement by a scholar that says, the inclination to be religious is universally and peculiarly a human trait. In other words, all human beings and only human beings have a propensity to be religious. Human beings are by nature religious beings. Now please note that I use the word universally because that's very important. A man by the name of Murdo MacDonald wrote this. The records and relics of the past, the researches of anthropologists into the beliefs and customs of all primitive people, all testify to the universality of this urge, that is the urge to be religious. And, and, and I don't think that you're going to, you can search all you want, you're not going to find a true scientific study in which people have looked at a race of people or a group of people who have been discovered and said they're not religious at all. They have no religion. They don't worship anything. They have no idea about worshiping anything. You're not going to find that. Because history has shown us that all people are inherently religious. Now, the question is, how, why? <laughs> why? Some people are going to argue, before you even get to that point, some people are going to argue, well, yeah, yeah, look, 
uh, but look at how wrong many religious people are. We look at the different sets of religions around the world and we can, from our viewpoint, we can see how wrong people are and how they can't all be right. But the fact remains, whether they're right or wrong, that no race or tribe of people has ever been discovered that has not worshipped someone or something. Look at Romans 1. We, we have used this passage many times in Romans 1. <clears throat> and our emphasis generally in Romans 1, because it is a, it is a testament to the, the depravity of the Gentile world, we've used it to talk about that, how wrong the Gentiles were. But I want you to think about it from a little different perspective this morning, beginning at verse 22 of Romans 1. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and notice and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Were they wrong? Yes. Were they religious? Yes. <laughs> it, it didn't say it didn't say they have rejected God and they have become irreligious. They're not religious at all. They rejected the true God of heaven in favor of worshiping something else, something wrong, but something else. And so you, you can go back as far as you want in history. You can look at any, any continent, any tribe, any sub-tribe, and you're going to find exactly the same thing. All people have this nature that says... I must worship. And incidentally, in that regard, I, I, I want to say, and, and I think I can affirm it as strongly as I can, you have to be taught to disbelieve there is any God. You, you don't have that natural inclination that, that as you grow up without any influence, you say, well, I don't think there's a God. You have to be taught by someone who doesn't believe there is a God that there is no God. And you accept that even though it's the wrong thing to accept. Now again, the question is, where did this desire to be religious originate? Where did it come from? Well, let, let me tell you how it's been explained by some. They would argue man made gods out of the forces, forces of nature. That is, like the sun, the moon, the stars. They looked at the sun, they said, that's God. And, 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 and I'll have to say, nothing supports that idea. There is nothing historically, there is no record of any kind that says that man first looked at the sun and said, I think that ought to be a God. But, but let me tell you this, even if that were true, that doesn't deny the fact that he's trying to be religious, does it? He, even if he looks at the sun and says, you are a God, isn't he worshiping? Isn't he saying there's something greater than me? Of course. There is, but I want to add this, and it's not on this point necessarily, but I want to add this. There is ample evidence, plenty of evidence, 
to affirm the fact that man went from monotheism, belief in one God, to polytheism, not the other way around. Man didn't believe in multiple gods and then just begin to narrow them down and say, well, there's only one God. It's always been the inclination of man not to be satisfied with one God, so he wants to make many gods. He has lots of different gods. And so if you were a part of some primitive people and, and you thought that the river was a god, that didn't mean you wouldn't believe that the sun was also a god because it ruled the day and this might have ruled the crops or whatever. But it doesn't deny the fact that man was religious and is religious by nature. Some people would argue that man just imagined God. That, that's how it all got started. Somebody said, hmm, maybe there's a God. Well, let me tell you this. You can try this experiment if you want. You imagine something that hasn't already been imagined. Tell me when you come up with it, because I don't think I'll be around when you come up with it. Imagination only tends to modify or add to what is already known. That's why a little boy dreams of a car that can fly, right? He imagines a car that has wings and flies. He didn't think that up from nothing. He took a fact, a car, and made it something else. That was his imagination. Well, here's a more reasonable answer. Go back to Romans 1 again. Go back to Romans 1 again. Beginning at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as an eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And, and, and I don't want to try to sound like this is too simple, but it, in a way it really is simple. Unless somebody has gotten to your head and made you think something you shouldn't think, if you were to go outside in the daytime for the first time and look at that brilliant orb, the sun, if you were to go out at night and look at that brilliant moon, if you were to go out at night and see those wonderful stars, would you not think there's something higher than us? Because you know what? We didn't make those things, did we? We, we didn't make the sun. We didn't make the moon. We didn't make the stars. Now, again, a, a person has to be taught to be irreligious. But he also has to go against the natural belief that there is a power greater than himself. Eddie mentioned in the first lesson, lesson one, that one of the reasons people become atheists is inordinate pride. And that certainly is true. One of the well-known atheists wrote this. Man, and here comes the quote, is his own master. He can and must decide his own destiny. That's inordinate pride. 
Nobody tells me what to do. I am the master. I am my own decider of my fate. You and I who believe in the Bible have seen a number of people who thought they were the masters. <laughs> Pharaoh thought he was the master. He learned better. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was the master. He learned better. Well, that's one evidence, the religious nature of man. And it's an indisputable evidence man is religious. Why? How did that come about? There is no other explanation that really fits other than someone greater than man put that in him to be religious. But here's the number two, and that's cause and effect. This is one of the fundamental laws of science, this law of cause and effect. Um, this is called the law of causality, which states this. And I hate reading scientific things, but I, I have to read it. Every material effect must have an adequate antecedent cause. Now, if, if you want to hear that in a much simpler way, that, that makes perfect sense to us, Hebrews 3 verse 4. Hebrews 3 verse 4 says, For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, a lot of people don't believe the second part of that. Everything's built by God. But no one who is honest, I mean no one who is honest, can deny the first part. Every house is built by someone. If, if a person were here today and would say to you, this building had no builder, you'd help to escort him off to the funny farm, wouldn't you? Because you know somebody had to build this building. It wouldn't be here unless somebody built it. And so you and I have to come to a conclusion that everything that is created has to have a creator. There, there is this law of cause and effect. If there is an effect, there is a cause for the effect. Here, here's an example that most of us would be familiar with. Daniel Defoe, many years ago, wrote, wrote this book called Robinson Crusoe, and most of you have read it. You know that Crusoe was stranded on an island. He thought he was there by himself until what? One day on the beach, what did he see? Footprints. And he was smart enough to know that if there were footprints and they weren't his, someone else had to be on that island. Why? Because footprints have to have a cause. They're the effect. Somebody walked on that sand. Good old Friday. There he was. Uh, became uh, his uh, cohort. Now, the same is true with us. And someone has said, uh, we've all seen God's footprints in the sand. <laughs> he, he's, left, he's left the evidence all around us. Well, let, let, when, when we come back to a fundamental part of this, the universe is an effect. It's here. Now, the question is, what is its cause? And, and that, is a, that, is a, that is a fundamental question. If the universe is here... How did it get here? Well, let me tell you, it, it's going <laughs> to... If you turn to science, 
or, or philosophy, you're going to get a bunch of different answers because they never stay with the same thing. Science has changed multiple times over the years. You know, biblical believers don't change. They believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and we've always believed that. Every generation for generations has believed that God created everything. But scientists have trotted out one little theory after another and can't ever be satisfied that that's the real theory, so they have to keep changing them. Now, there are four possibilities about how the universe got here. And I almost hate to say the first one, but it's true. It's an illusion. It just doesn't exist. But it does exist. It's a reality, and it's foolish to deny that the universe exists. It does exist. But if, if, if it's not an illusion, some would say and have said it has always existed. It has always existed. But you know what? Science doesn't teach that anymore. Scientists have come to believe, and there was a time when they believed it always existed. But they don't believe that anymore. Um, Robert Jastrow, who died in 2008, was a renowned agnostic and evolutionist. But even he admitted this. Listen to his statement. Only as a result of the most recent discoveries can we say, he was really stretching hard on this, a fair degree of confidence that our universe has not existed forever. See, that's all he would allow himself. A fair degree of confidence that our universe has not existed forever. In the same volume, he stated, modern science denies an eternal existence to the universe. Most of us have been out of school a long time and we haven't thought about the second law of thermodynamics for a long time, if ever. But that law, which is accepted by scientists, states that when energy is used, it is transformed from a usable to a non-usable form. And if you want the simplest way I can say this, it's like a battery that runs down. Well, our, our universe is, has been understood now by scientists, finally, to be a place where it is running down. Now, you don't have to go home and pack all your stuff and get ready to hide under the table because they're not saying it's going to run down tomorrow. But they have accepted the fact that energy is becoming less and less. It is used up. And if it is running down, it cannot be eternal. See, eternal thing. If you have a battery, and I don't care how long they tell you those Duracells are going to last, they're going to run down. But if you have a battery that never runs down, you could say that's an eternal battery. But you're not going to get a battery like that. In fact, nothing that is material is going to last forever, including our bodies, our world. It's not going to last. And so, if, if, if it isn't an illusion, if it hadn't always existed, then what else could it be? Well, here comes the scientist. He says, it created itself out of nothing. 
Boy, if you want to be a believer, you're going to have to believe strongly beyond reason to believe that. Out of nothing, what? Nothing comes. How can anyone with a straight face say something came out of nothing without acknowledging God? Just about the material universe. Something came out of nothing. Well, incidentally, going back to that last idea about the fact that it's always existed, the fact that scientists try to assign a date to the universe admits that they are saying it has not always existed. You ever think about that? You know, you hear these crazy things. Well, the earth is 80 billion years old, or the universe is 20 billion years old. Well, wait a minute. If you're putting a date at how old it is, that means it didn't always exist. Because if it always existed, you wouldn't give it an age. You'd just say, the universe has always been here. The earth has always been here. The world, everything's always been here. But they assign a date. And incidentally, I'm always amazed that it's not 49.3 million years, it's 50 million years, or 80 million, or 100 million. Now, scientists and physicists, of course, understand this. No material thing can create itself. Dear friends, you would think me crazy if I said this bench can make a bench. It can't. If I had a rock and you and I watched that rock for a hundred thousand years, it wouldn't produce another rock. Because material things don't create material things. Something has to be living to be able to create something else. And so you and I believe that this universe had to be created by something, or in our case, someone who could create it. Now back to that idea that every house is built by someone. Just because we didn't see the builder doesn't mean that we can deny that there was a builder. There have been plenty of people who came. Some of us saw this church being built. Some didn't ever see it being built. It was already built. But no one would walk in and say, well, I didn't see anybody building it, so I don't believe there was a builder. When, when prejudice is not involved. We have to agree with the words of Psalm 19. I want you to look there. We're almost out of time. Many of you could quote Psalm 19. I know that. Psalm 19, beginning at verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor knowledge where their voice is not heard. I think we're going to see that more and more as we go through this. Now, I want to mention two other things if we have time. One, and I don't normally read from anything, but many years ago, Brother Hugo McCord wrote a very short, concise book called From Heaven or From Men. That's, of course based upon the statement that Jesus made about the baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? But, but he used it to talk about creation matters and so on. 
And I was particularly struck by one paragraph that Brother McCord wrote, and I wanted to share it with you. The paragraph is headed, The Only Alternative. Listen to this. The only alternative, if one does not believe in God, is to disbelieve in him, which is atheism. If the believer has some questions, and, and we understand we have questions, and he even put in parenthesis, especially concerning evil, for which he has incomplete answers, the atheist has more questions for which he has no answers. No unimportant questions before which the atheist is mute are the following. Listen to these questions. An atheist has to answer this. What is the cause of the universe? How came the universe to display orderliness and law? How came the universe to display design? Here's one the atheist can't answer. What is the meaning of life? How could an atheist tell you what the meaning of life is because it would be up to each individual what the meaning of life is? From what does the desire for immortality arise? We didn't even talk about that when we talked about the religious nature of man. What is there in man that makes him want to live beyond this life? People don't normally just say, well, I'm just content to live and die. You would like to believe that you're going to go on in another existence beyond this existence. Now, there's one other thing, and this is not on the lesson sheet. I didn't really intend initially to say this, but if you want to add this to the reasons to believe in God, there is the matter of the universe, the uniform laws of nature. A lot, a lot of life seems uncertain to us, but there are some things you can count on every day, right? You take a hot cup of coffee and you set it on a counter, and what's going to happen to it? Is it going to get hotter? Is it going to stay the same all day? It's going to get cold. Why, is, why does that happen every time? Why doesn't one time when you put a hot cup of coffee on a counter, why didn't it get hotter? Why does the earth rotate the same way on its axis every 24 hours? Why not 10 hours? Why not 30 hours? Why not 50 hours? Why does the speed of light not change? Why does the distance in the sun from the sun not change for us? Here's a quote. The greatest scientists have been struck by how strange this is. There is no logical necessity for a universe that obeys laws, let alone abides by the rules of mathematics. This astonishment springs from the recognition that the universe doesn't have to behave this way. And it's easy to imagine a, a universe in which conditions change unpredictably from instant to instant, or even a universe in which things pop in and out of existence. Here's a Nobel Prize winner who wrote this. Why nature is mathematical is a mystery. The fact that there are rules at all is a kind of miracle. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And it's because of God. Thanks for being here today. Appreciate having you in the class.